stay tuned to Vinyl Community Podcasts. Back in the building, concert buddy here, Vinyl Community Podcasts. We've got an interesting topic, and i got to give full credit to the man below me if you're watching this. P.B. Thaw, the planted seeds of this idea about talking about collecting jazz and enjoying jazz in the vinyl community, but not necessarily being like a jazz head or a jazz bum per se. Shout out to the jazz bums. But we'll kind of get into that. Let me do some introductions, and then we'll kind of walk the walk. I want to welcome... Friend of the show, you see him on Surface Noise pretty much every time, except when he's on vacation. We'll start with our friend from the Empire State, Arnaldo. The channel is Fidelios underscore Frequency. Arnaldo, how are you? I'm doing well, Chance. Thanks for having me. I feel like, you know, I'm like you're, whether we're talking about Kiss, now we're talking about Jazz, or the regular Surface Noise, I like the little, uh, the little joker that you could pull out of your deck. <laughs> You're the utility knife, the utility knife of Vinyl Community Podcast, and I appreciate it. And then I've got another Philadelphia-connected fella, and you've seen him on the pod before. This is Rocco Richardson over at the channel Pieces of Vinyl. Rocco, what's going on? Hello. How is everybody? Thank you for having me, Chance. Appreciate it. Happy to have you, man. Appreciate showing up. And then we've got a... Two guys with Texas roots. We'll start with currently in Texas, but doesn't want to claim Texas. That is the Jazz Finder General, Mr. <laughs> Louis Golden. Louis, how are you? I'm doing well, Chance. Thanks for having me. How many Diet Cokes are you uh, armed and ready with? You, you ready? 16. 16. Okay. I just want to make sure it's in double digits because we'll definitely go through at least 10. And then, like I said, the man with the, the, man with the plan. Been in Texas. Not in Texas Perfect. anymore. I'm from born and raised. Born and raised. Uh, not watching football right now because uh, the, I am watching football uh, right now. I'm just not. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> uh, we're filming. We're filming go this. Lions? Right? Go Lions, right? Go Lions. I'm Go Lions. I'm big time Go Lions right now. Yeah, so, me too. Excellent. excellent. So, PB Paul, Patrick, how are you, sir? I'm good. It's very appropriate that I'm wearing a Hammerjack shirt on Jazz Day. I'm realizing that I'm wearing it's like the biggest rock club ever in Baltimore. <laughs> so it's like, it's like, yeah, right. I'm wearing a Hammerjack shirt. But anyway, I'm looking forward to this. I mean, I, 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 I just don't want. I'm tired of being jazz shamed by people like the Jazz Bones. You know, I mean, I love those guys, but you know, they're 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 they make me feel stupid. <laughs> we're we're going to get into jazz shaming because it does happen, and. I'm not going to point fingers, but there are certain people who are over six foot four that like to make fun of the jazz record bring into collection. We'll 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 jazz shame. We're going to put the mirror back on these people. But uh, let's kind of get into it. And the idea, again, behind this conversation is just talking about jazz and the vinyl community at large. And there's people and there's channels. Like I said, the jazz bums. There's what can Brown do for you? There's Ken Schliff, his name. A lot of people that know their stuff. We are not them, so I want to be very clear. We are just people who have found jazz, enjoyed jazz, like jazz on our own, have different journeys, and we'll kind of talk about that. But Arnaldo, we'll kind of kick it off with you, because I know you and I have kind of talked offline about, you know, building our jazz collections and, and emerging, but also doing it in a deliberate way. You even have a spreadsheet, if I recall correctly. So what does collecting records and jazz records right now look like for you? Well, <clears throat> I think it's... For me, it's a journey, uh, discovering a type of music that I was never familiar with growing up. And it all started because, let's call one of my dear friends who lives in Italy, has a record store and has the most eclectic taste in music. But I remember from hanging out at the store and learning from him all the various things, he had, I picked up his two main, besides the Beatles, right? Then he had two main, um, main artists that he had everything of. And when I say everything of these artists, it's a lot of records. So Frank Zappa and Miles Davis. And I think he's the person that I know that knows the most about these artists. And through him, I started learning about jazz listening here and there, but not fully ready to understand it. Um, sure. I don't know how deep you want me to go into this, but I guess the easiest way to put it is I'm more of a song structure kind of guy. 
So that's why your pop song, rock, anything that has a, you know, um, a verse, bridge, right. chorus, that's me, right? I can totally appreciate musicianship and all of the various derivations from uh, rock and whatsoever and pop and soul and all that stuff. But I found it very difficult to get a feeling for jazz in terms of trying to understand it. And I've always associated the appreciation of jazz to someone who understands music, that can play an instrument, that can appreciate it fully. And that may or may not be. I don't know. I'm approaching it. I don't play any instruments apart from strumming guitar here and there. Um, but I think that maybe musicians and maybe Louie can clarify if knowing how to play an instrument can increase your appreciation for jazz or not. Um, I just go, I went in on it because I wanted to explore a different, um, I don't want to call it midlife crisis, but a different type of music that I hadn't, that I found that I had huge deficiencies. I mean, the only record that I owned on CD a jazz record and was the first one that I bought is kind of blue by Miles Davis. But I think everybody who loves music has that record in their collection. So I wanted to explore that further. And especially because a dear friend who's really passionate about jazz and Miles Davis and all that other stuff, um, kind of like planted that seed. Therefore I wanted to explore it and learn more about it. And I experienced so jazz, and I experienced jazz from a non-musician point of view. Um, that's why maybe there's certain types of jazz that I can't fully appreciate yet. I just enjoy listening to the sounds, the musicianship, because I can tell that these guys, these cats can really play. So um, yeah, that's it. I want to go off forever. No, you're good. You're good. Now, Rocco, I know something you have on Louie is you, you, you used to, you've been in band, like weren't you in marching band, if yeah. I'm not mistaken. So you have, like some, yeah, you have me. a long history. Yeah, Rocco. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. You have, yeah, no, I, I thought, thought you were. So, yeah. yeah. I've played music my whole life. Like, I've played music since I was 12. I am a percussionist. Um, but, I mean, I kind of have dabbled in all kinds of instruments, but mainly I'm a percussionist. Um, and, like, I, I practically went to school for music, but I ended up changing majors while I was in college. But I did teach out of uh, college, like, local high schools and things like that. I did, I did march in marching band and then like in drum corps um, and things like that, like competitively and stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've played my whole life. I've played in, I've played in bands. I've played in jazz bands. I've played in funk bands. I've played in, you know, all kinds of different things like that. So um, that's, how is that shape? Well, how is that shaped? Like how you approach? Because you had said before we got started, like you've got like a lot of like digital jazz, but jazz vinyl format. Like how is that background being having musical chops kind of influenced how you have approached amassing jazz, especially this quote unquote jazz renaissance here in the hobby in the last couple of years? Everything has been kind of like one giant musical journey so it's not just through vinyl but at this point vinyl's the main focus um so now at this point it's more about like filling in the collection with my vinyl of the things that i want and already know about um so i don't have a lot of the things that i want and know about <clears throat> but um digitally i have everything and know of everything that i that i've basically want i mean with the exception and like i i listen to a lot of new stuff too like and I mean, like new, meaning like Chris Potter or like like that kind of stuff, like those kind of Christian McBride, like artists like that, right? Like, yep, Christian McBride. Okay. Um, and then that's another thing too. Like, I've had a great, great, great privilege of working where I work um, during the day. You know what? I'll just say it because, like, I I work and where I work, I do YouTube videos for them too. So people will probably be able to put the two and two together. I work for a sheet music company called JW Pepper, um, which we are primarily like the world's largest sheet music distributor for like, you know, educational music. Like if you're in a high school and you bought a, a, a piece of band music in the last 30 years, you bought it from JW Pepper. Um, actually, the last 140 years, we've been around since 1876. But we have had the amazing opportunity to interview a lot of great jazz artists. I put together like a whole jazz series with them. Um, I've gotten to interview Eddie Palmieri, who's a jazz pianist, um, like Latin jazz. 
Um, I've gotten to interview Christian McBride, who's from Philadelphia. Pat Martino, who passed away a few years ago, who's a guitarist from Philadelphia. He's like a jazz fusion guitar legend. Um, I've gotten to interview Roger Ingram, who is like a more of a big band jazz guy, um, like like more on the like straight up big band side of things. And he's like a screamer trumpet player who can play like a high C. So he gets hired for everything. Um, and then uh, we've interviewed tons of different jazz artists and even all even through the military too. like the military um, has a ridiculous um, set of musicians and jazz artists and stuff like that. So I've had a really great like background in jazz and that's why i'm really excited to be in this conversation because um you know i can answer a lot of questions for people and i can i feel like i can bring a lot of people along um especially people that listen to rock music like i i originally started out playing music in a punk rock band you know like like it for me like it, it was actually a band called plague of depression and um and we were like just a bunch of kids and we had we were we listened to like nirvana and like you know alice in chains but we couldn't even play that stuff so it was even more raw and punk rock than that from there you know it just you know i kept getting better and i actually started taking music lessons at like the age of 12 private lessons um so i started playing just rock music and then I went through all the rock books that my drum teacher had. And then I was like, okay, I guess I should start playing jazz. Like for me, it was like, okay, it's just the next progression of playing the drums. I should play jazz because I need to learn more drums. I need to learn how to play more things, like more different odd time signatures and different rhythms and stuff. And luckily my drum teacher at the time was very cool. And he was like, I don't know how to play jazz. So you'll have to find somebody else. And I was like, oh, all right. So I had to go find another teacher. And I did. What's funny is at the time, and I actually still have this book. This is actually the book that like literally like started my life off with jazz. <laughs> like okay. This book called Jazz. <laughs> and um, it's literally just like a, a silly, like it's, it's literally just an encyclopedia of jazz and it has everything from like how you play an instrument or like what like this is like something that would be found in like a high school i think i may have gotten it from my high school i'm probably sure I, that I, that I, a lot of the things in my a lot of the things in my early life of playing music were definitely um acquired so acquired it, is a good things, it had pages like this in it <laughs> which we're gonna probably you know end up talking about most of these things today but like huh. All of the, you know, like this one right here, for example, uh, where is it? This guy right here. Um, so this record right here is a, and it's funny that I, it's, it's cool that I actually just pulled out right to this and I'm pointing to something else from Cannonball Adderley. And it's cool that I point to that. Cause that literally just, I think that just recently came out in a MoFi, um, yes. one step once. And so I don't know that record it's interesting the way that I've come to all this because I've come to it more from the modern side of it backwards. So getting back to records like even kind of blue or love Supreme or, you know, something else from cannonball Adderley for me, it's like, I'm even just discovering them now after listening to jazz for over 20 years, you know, um, like I, those weren't records that like I listened to primarily like all the time when I was growing up. In fact, it was, it was kind of odd. Like I mostly listened to like jazz funk stuff and I have a lot of that stuff here that I was going to show you guys, but, um, that was basically how I got started. That's how my start and all this went. So Patrick, uh, before we get to Louie, cause I think Louie uh, has an interesting point of view on this too. Uh, you're a musician also. Like I know you you played back in the day. I, in different I, 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 I am not a musician. I have worked for bands. Not a musician. Okay, I have that twisted. Okay, but you're around the scene, right? Like that. Maybe that's where I'm getting the mix up. So well, my but, mom, but, my but, mom was an opera singer. So yeah. Okay. So so how did how did you kind of come into jazz? Because obviously you're a well known record collector. Obviously one of the best rippers out there. How did you kind of come to jazz? Because when we talked on Violent Community Podcast before Cheap Plug. Uh, you know, you talked about back in the day, just passing on all those OG blue notes and just not knowing. And and now, if, had you known what you know now back then, you'd be, you know, Scrooge McDuck in, in the in the sea of coins. So how did you kind of come to jazz? I mean, my mom was an opera singer. She studied in Italy and she would play all sorts of different stuff in the house. Most of it I hated. I, but, but 
for me, the 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 people that, that actually have, have turned me on to more jazz have been drummers. For coincidentally, when I think about it, but uh, when I was twenty, I was uh, I worked at a at a beer bar in West Texas in, in a redneck town, and uh, and we played records, and people would bring in records, and they, I would play them. You know, they say here, play this. So there are three re- there are these three records. These two records were my my very first start. It would be the Al Di Miola Friday Night in San Francisco. Somebody brought that in. And, you know, not this version, of course, but uh, but uh, the, sure. the original version. And that was, you know, I, I listened to that. I go, yeah, it's pretty cool. Then somebody, you know, would bring in like brought in like heavy weather by Weather Report. Yeah. I was like, oh, wow, that's pretty freaking cool, too. So I listened to a few things like that, more jazz fusion type stuff. You know, a lot of um, mm-hmm. Stanley Clark, you know, that kind of stuff. And then probably um, I moved to West Texas and met another drummer. And this this album came out, Chick Korea's Electric Band. Um, with okay. Dave Weckl and Frank Gambali and John Patitucci. And so I was like going, holy shit, this was like a whole new n- whole new level of like jazz, jazz, quote, <laughs> I'm sure the jazz, like, like the jazz periods would like shoot me for saying that. But, but, uh, <laughs> no, man. But yeah, I mean, this was we like gotta a put whole a check, another we level. We have to put a check mark to come back on that. Then I, I started wor- working for bands. I was traveling with the band um, as a guitar tech from, from my hometown. And the drummer in that band was really into like Dave Weckl, and and he started he turned me on to like the Rippingtons. But he was a metal, he, I mean, he was also a thrash metal guy. So so he was a thrash metal guy, and he was into this stuff, you know. So Steve Smith, Vital Information, that kind of stuff, all that stuff he was I was listening to. So that's what that's what I started to listen to, and I didn't even think about you know the the fifty stuff or any of that any of that. And then I remember I, I went and I bought some records from somebody, and they had a bunch of Blue Notes, and I I left them there. The guy says, look, dude, he's like going, you need to buy these. I'm like, going, he was just trying to tell me to buy these. I'm like, going, no, I don't want that shit. So he goes, look, you're going to take take this one. I'll give it to you. He gave me a kind of blue, a freaking six eye kind of blue mono. Wow. He gave it to me. He's like going, you really need to hear this. And I'm like going, all right. So after about a week, I put it on. I was like, okay, I kind of like this. It's all right. But but I kind of just let it die, you know, and then people like, oh, you got to listen to like, you know, John Coltrane. And I listen to that stuff. And I'm like, well, I don't get it. The whole free, this guy that the guy that this guy that gave me to let me rip some records, including the the Bob Dylan. That's <laughs> super rare. But uh, he gave me like Albert Eiler. And, and he goes, you got to listen to Albert Eiler. It's, it's the greatest record ever. And I'm like going, there's like no melody whatsoever in this. Shit. It's like just people noodling worse than worse than anything sure. I've ever heard in my life. You know, so I just couldn't get into it. And that's what I thought jazz was. I thought at that moment, I thought, okay, j- this is what jazz is. Because I listened to John Coltrane and this Albert Eiler and Sun Ra. You know, I was like, going, oh. okay, I can't get into this shit. <laughs> you know, I'm like, going, this jazz thing is just not for me. Mm. So that that's how I started, you know. And then I think right when, when, um, when the Music Matters thing started happening, and I started going on YouTube and I was on the Hoffman forums. And I remember, I, I remember somebody mentioning, the Hoffman doing of a saxophone Colossus, and I picked this up, and I thought, "Wow, this is this is actually kind of accessible for me," you know. Mm-hmm. And then, I, and then, well, I guess we're going to talk. We can talk later about. But then, when the Music Matters stuff started happening, people started telling me about that stuff, and so I subscribed to the SRX thing because I was going, "Well, it might go up in value." <laughs> Little did I know, but you know, so I subscribed to the SRX and I bought as many of the the thirty three and forty fives as I could, and I've gone through those over time. And learned what I liked and what I didn't like, you know. And and I and I know that I tend to gravitate towards like you showed that that book, Rocco, and you pointed to the something else, Cannibal Adderley. Love that record, you know. You're, they're also, I think, uh, I think maybe the Sidewinder was on that was on that page. Saxophone Colossus oh, was on that page, on those pages. Yeah. I tend to gravitate to the melodic jazz stuff, but I, I, I can go to the Jackie McLean stuff, but that's about as far as I can go. You know, I bought that. I bought that Ornette Coleman box set. It's sitting in my garage, like yeah. holding, literally, literally holding up a shelf from sinking. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so that's what it's doing. Wow! 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 But that's that's, but that, that's, that, that's my journey. It's very similar. I'm hearing a lot of common themes, and, and that's kind of where my themes for getting blue is that you kind of reach a point where, like, you know, it's out there, and and you dibble, dabble, double, but it never really grabs you. And so, Louis, as somebody who has had a musicians ear musicians experience and and music that is not exactly immediately identified as jazz specific now you're going down the rabbit hole you know you, you really kind of have been getting back into music through vinyl a couple of years we've talked about in other programs but now you're just you're two feet in i see you on the jazz bum streams 
like you're going for it. You're going for it. So, so tell me about your kind of jazz journey as it stands right now. Well, it's, it's, it's still a branch of the reason that I collect vinyl as a physical format is specifically to invest in my relationship with music. So, um, to me, if I'm going to spend $28 on something or spend more than that on something that's original or, or collectible or something like that, um, it's something I'm going to pay attention to and have a relationship with, right? So it requires me to do research ahead of time. It requires me to critically listen more. Um, whereas when I could just download anything in the world, um, I could easily have all the Blue Note catalog too, you know, but that doesn't mean that I would listen to it or understand it. So, I mean, jazz is uh, a uniquely American invention. I, I owe it to myself as a lover of music and a musician, Um to learn about. And, you know, like when people get super excited about stuff, like you can tell when it's genuine and, and like people are like, oh my God, you got to try this. Uh, Patrick was talking about Albert Eiler and how weird that stuff is. It's totally irresponsible for somebody to voice that on you as a, as a new jazz listener. <laughs> also, I think that's totally irresponsible because then they're going to think that, right? But but people are really into that. and I And I always have to know why. I start finding these dots out in there like why are people into hard bop and what is it and why are people into free jazz and what is it how did it happen why is it important and and even if i don't get it right away that doesn't that probably just means that i haven't done enough studying or listening so that's why jazz is happening right now but the reason why i'm maybe more into that part of my collection right now is because i really like it like i'm really finding stuff that you know makes me gives me a bittersweet moment that i didn't discover sooner you know, like this has been a hole in my musical sort of life that I didn't know was there until I started filling it. That's good. So that kind of leads me to the next transition in the conversation. Because I find it interesting that in the last couple of years, again, I use this term jazz renaissance, but particularly in the hobby, because I've been collecting records for 15, 20 years. And I knew of jazz. I'm sure like, like Patrick's story, I'm sure I, back in the day, I probably passed on some Blue Note OGs. I just didn't know what I was doing. It came to, it was kind of, it's always been a blind spot. So it made me kind of wonder as my own journey has kind of taken shape and, you know, again, very buoyed by the availability, you know, the, all these new reissues that have really hit the market is, is definitely been like jet fuel to kind of allow this journey to take place. I'm kind of curious what you guys think about why jazz is just, Again, Jan, I keep saying this term, jazz renaissance. Why do you guys think that it's happening now and what's driving people to at least explore? So, so Rocco, I'll start with you. What do you think is driving this? If you're talking about a, a couple of different things, um, specifically if you're talking about vinyl, I obviously I think the number one thing driving it is the Blue Note Classic series and the Tone Poet series solely because – it's so cheap. And I not only is it cheap, it's so quality and so cheap at the same time that why not? Like, I mean, and, but that's only been, I think the classic series started in 2019 or 2020. Um, Sounds about right. I mean, for me, collecting jazz specifically on vinyl goes all the way back to the beginning of my collection because I wanted, but again, that also goes to the, to the transition to, of like how I went from rock to jazz, which is through funk and through like mm -hmm. jazz funk. Like it really is like rock to funk to jazz for me. And it's a, a very easy progression in my opinion, if you do that, it's almost very similar to what Patrick was saying because I got into all of those same groups. And in fact, I was that check mark I was talking about was um, one of the earliest things that I ever was exposed to was um drum clinics at sam ash music sam ash music is a um like an instrument store like guitar center and stuff like that um and so in king of prussia they had a which is a town outside of philadelphia they had a um they would have jazz clinic they would have drum clinics where they would bring in these drummers they brought in dave weckel they brought in jack dejanet they brought in um you know peter erskine and it was free. I could come in for free and watch Dave Weckl play for an hour and a half and ask him questions. And I did. And it was amazing. And that was my first introduction to Dave Weckl and Chick Corea and also mm. the electric band and that side of fusion. And then I actually got a chance to go in and see Peter Erskine, 
who I was going in just as Peter Erskine is one of the drummers for weather report. And he's also an amazing fusion jazz drummer. And I got to go see him in a drum clinic. And I thought I was just going to see him. And when I got there, he was like, you know, these drum clinics are kind of boring when it's just one person. So I decided to bring some of my friends. This is my bass player friend, John Patitucci. And this is my guitar player friend, John Abercrombie. And this is my sax player friend, Bob Mincer. And so we're all going to sit here and play today. And you can ask us questions in the middle of all of it. And it'll be great. They later ended up making that thing an album called The Hudson Project that you can get on CD. And it it blew my mind. I mean, it blew me away to like actually be able to like see it firsthand, see how it's put together, see what they're doing and what they're thinking. And so again, back to the vinyl side of it, though, CTI was my first introduction to jazz vinyl. And if you're not familiar with CTI Records, that is uh, Creed Taylor Incorporated. And it's basically blue note in the seventies. And if you dig more into like the lineage of like how this stuff goes more or less blue note in its heyday existed through basically like the late fifties to about like the mid seventies or like, I want to say like 73, 74 ish. Now like blue note exists after that, but I'm pretty sure it was sold to universal at that point. It's turned over a couple different times for sure. Yep. Yeah. And so, but that was kind of like its heyday. I, I always refer to that because I think that all of those series of blue note records is called the modern jazz series. And that's like all the Rudy Van Gelder blue note stuff that like all of us have missed out on over the years. And it's so funny too. like, again, Patrick, I have the exact same story of, I was in a mall when I was like, 12 or 13 and i was like just collecting some records and stuff and this guy had a stack of jazz records just sitting there and he's like do you want all of these i don't feel like taking them in my car and i was like no and i'm sure that there was like original blue notes in there for sure like that i could have had for free cti records was like the first ones that i and even to this day cti records is still very cheap to get your hands on and so i would highly highly suggest people to go out there and research and also cti is a great kind of bridge for like going from that like straight jazz to like Mm -hmm. you know jazz funk stuff there's a lot of jazz funk in it there's a lot of soul jazz in it um kenny james over cti there chance what's that you get a I think Chance may have gotten jazz shamed over a CTI record once or twice. Oh no! I I don't want to bring too soon, too soon. (laughs) And 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 there's Rocco's thumbs up. So Arnaldo, what do you think about uh, like so many people all of a sudden getting on the S train here of late? And and what do you think like some of the root causes are? People just they've collected everything else there is to collect, and now they're trying something new. Kind of we're talking about before about. There was it was something you knew about, but you didn't, you know, necessarily gravitate towards it. What what do you think is bringing so many people to jazz now? I think it's this is the golden era of jazz reissues, and I think that's attracting a lot of newbies like me um, to these really nicely presented, uh, impeccably mastered, uh, affordable jazz records and i think it's the perfect time for me because like i said i started my journey maybe around 2019 2020 and that's when a lot of this started i mean i missed out on the uh patrick what is it called again the uh srx uh music i missed out on that as well <clears throat> so but it's okay i'm fine with the uh with the poor man's version which is the blue no classic now right yeah. <laughs> yeah, which I, I don't mind either. I'm yeah, fine with it. I think they sound fantastic. I maybe I've had issues with one or two titles, but pretty much um, great quality. Uh, yeah, they sound great. They, 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 and they sound great, not because I say it, but because I've heard so many people praise them. No matter what Jason Rojas says. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I was waiting for that one. Uh, Louis, so, you know. Love you, Jason. As, <laughs> so, Louis, as, as you're going down the balloon rabbit hole, right, what what do you think? I, I mean, surely you're not the only one because obviously they keep pumping out titles after titles after titles. Is that kind of intimidating because you're still kind of forming your, your basis of knowledge? Like you said, you're going down different rabbit holes. Like, I, you know, we brought up Weather Report. That's one I'm kind of on right now because you've Wayne Shorter. You've got Jocko. There's like all these different kind of 
touch points that take you exactly what you said earlier, Louie, in different directions. And then you're on to another, you know, deep dive on who was Jocko and who did he play with and et cetera, et cetera. <coughs> so as, as you doing it right now, why do you think you and so many others are really getting into this jazz rabbit hole? For, for me, I think that the Blue Note part of it, and to, to Arnaldo's point, is sort of the opposite of intimidating because their body of work is so linear and the catalog is so clean, you can go through it and you can sort of pick spots and, and sort of build your collection around it if you want. You know, To reiterate everyone's point, the Blue Note reissues are great. They sound great and they're cheap and accessible. And you can take a $25 record and it's going to sound real near to, to the original and from a collection standpoint. Um, and then go from there and still find something else in Blue Note that's going to add to your collection. For me, it's, it's, there's a bunch of feelers out there that are, that are helping with that. But like, I also, and this, I, I don't think that I'm unique in this way, but I, I put a lot of effort into studying. I'm not intimidated by other collectors because I'm not them. And my collection's totally different, you know? <coughs> Excuse me. So I just do my, I do my research and I study and I'm interested in certain things. And so I'll learn as much as I can about that thing. And then maybe I'll buy a record or two from that and then see, see, you know, how that links what I've learned to how I feel the music impacts me. So to me, the, the existence of the Blue Note catalog is, is the greatest starting point from that, from that angle. And you can go in blind and you're not going to get a bad product almost no matter what you do. I mean, is anybody going to argue that, that that's not a great place to start? I mean, I'm sure there's some some people that would probably say, oh, no, you got to go, you know, the impulse, whatever. I, I get that. Yeah. But I mean, for, 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 for people who don't know anything about jazz like I was, you know, I think that's probably your best bet is to go straight into Blue Note. And, you know, that that's where you should start. I mean, yeah, it's been great for me, for sure. So Patrick, you definitely can't go wrong from a vinyl standpoint. I mean, at this point, you can't go wrong from a vinyl standpoint and from getting from, from the, it it is the least, uh, like point of barrier in terms of like price. And I mean, you can get a $15 grant green record on Amazon. Like, so it's like, I mean, first of all, you should. And second of all, um, it's it that right there is a perfect entryway into jazz grant green any grant green record period because he's very like not just he he doesn't get out there like it's very like soulful and he got into funk a lot later on too in the 70s which we'll talk about in a little bit but um but for fifteen dollars, I mean that's not an investment. Why not? You know what I mean? Right. The, the, like you right. know what I mean? Like that's that's fifteen dollars. And oh, I don't like this record. Okay, then it'll sit on my shelf, or I'll even give it away. Who cares? Fifteen dollars, like you know. So, I mean that 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 to me is why. Can't even buy a cocktail in New York for. I can't believe that anyway. So people, people, (laughs) people shame other people for getting Blue Note classic vinyl records. I have heard say, I mean, sure, like I I have seen people. Talk about that blue note that blue note OGs obviously sound better, but dude, I'm not going to spend four hundred dollars on a on a Grant Green mm-hmm. record when I could get one for fifteen bucks that sounds amazing. Like, yeah, what's well, what's the point? There, there is a certain there, there's a certain group. I'm not going to say that that, that are that are there, there's a there, there's a there's a movement right now to 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 say that that, that the blue note reissues the tone poets the, the Kevin Gray done stuff do not sound that good. You know, and that the originals sound better. And I've had the cooker. I've had an, an original cooker, and I've had the reissue. Reissue. And mm-hmm. you know, and 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 to me, I, I listen to the I, I listen to the reissue. I think the reissue sounds better because you know the, the thing that I don't. The only problem I have with the Blue Note catalog as it is now is that they're not doing the Music Matters titles as tone poets. They're as a in deference, I guess, to Music Matters. They're not they're not stepping on those toes, even though they've yeah. lost, I think, the licenses for those. They're not stepping on those toes and they're releasing all the ones that when they do release them, they're doing them as classics and not not with the gatefold and the really beautiful art. That, part of it for me, honestly, now that I think about it, is the is the presentation, the artwork and all presentation. The, yep. the, yeah, the Francis too. Wolf pictures and it's yeah. A Blue Note album is literally an immersive experience. I mean, it's like you—you you, you got that glossy cover, and it's just like, oh my god! That's how, how amazing was. is this look? I mean, I mean, this is just freaking gorgeous, you know. Well, and that's what CTI point. was for me. With CTI, it was basically the same thing in the seventies. They're laminated covers. This is a uh, George Benson White Rabbit. 
it's it's cool. This this these what I've discovered. So I started collecting these in my early goings um, because my friends in you know here's how it went for me. Like I'm in a band playing in a band that's like kind of a funk band and the guitar player starts getting into George Benson and he's like, dude, you got to listen to white rabbit. You got to listen to this record. And so I go out and I buy this record because I found it for $3 at a, you know, thrift store somewhere. And I thought that it was great because it had this, it has this like awesome, you know, gloss to it and this really nice gatefold jacket with like a really nice picture set in it. Now this one happens to have like a picture of that, but I later learn that, you know, CTI all use the same photographer, Pete Turner, who took all these photographs, but this is all modeled off of blue note. This is all modeled off of all the stuff now with tone poet, all the stuff that they're doing is all modeled off of this, like these glossy covers and the really good stout and jackets and stuff like that. What's interesting is, and I'm worried to see it, but some of these, if you don't take care of them, cause I've gotten some of these and I might have some here. Um, the CTI ones specifically where the laminate cracks over time, it yellows mm-hmm. and cracks. And so hopefully our, you know, tone poets don't do that over time or our music matters ones that we maybe have had to spend a hundred dollars to get. That's for me. Like, that's kind of exactly how it would always go is like the guys in my band would be like, you got to check out Jack D. Jeanette or, and Jack D. Jeanette was one that Jack D. Jeanette, a drummer be, me being a drummer, and also, I use his sticks because his sticks are like literally the best Vic Firth sticks that they make, in my opinion. He specifically kind of was able to let me go in every direction with jazz because he goes back and he plays, you know, he's on Bitches Brew and then he's on all these CTI records, but then he is also on all this later stuff in ECM with like Gary Peacock. And I, I if you're not familiar with ECM stuff, that that's like Keith Jarrett records on ECM in like the um, 70s and 80s and stuff like that. Even those records are really great. Like they're very minimalist covers. It just mm-hmm. usually will have like a color and just the four names of the people on it. Usually it's like Jack DeJanette, Gary Peacock and like Steve Swallow or something like that. It's cool to be able to find one guy and follow him and see his trajectory and kind of where he connects. Like you were saying before with Wayne Shorter, how you're into Wayne Shorter right now, and he's connecting you back to Blue Note because he had those original Blue Note records, like his original uh, solo records where he was the front man. But then Weather Report later on, and it's cool, That's that was exactly my trajectory with him was first through weather report like i go backwards with him and now i'm collecting all of those i came across that collection that digital collection of that whole blue note modern jazz series after i had found all of this other stuff and it's funny i think in the beginning we mentioned for a second that arnaldo has like checklists or something like that or you said that arnaldo has like a yeah he has like a spreadsheet yeah Yeah, so i do too i do too and my mentor sent me, I said, I want to get into jazz and can you compile a list of a hundred essential albums I should get? I started off uh, with, of course, Miles Davis, the more popular ones. And a lot of them were also becoming available on Blue Note Classic or the Tone Poet. And I'm up to like, I just counted now 47 because along the journey, I discovered artists that I like. And then you'll go and I bought other stuff like I think there were two titles by Herbie Hancock, Maiden Voyage, and forgot the other one. And then I started buying Herbie Hancock. Right? Oh, head, headhunters? Probably Headhunters, yes, right? Thank you, Headhunters. Thank you. Yep. Oh, um, yeah. So then I started buying other Herbie Hancock records, which because I realized how how his style and of music and playing evolved uh, from what he was doing at the beginning towards, you know, the more, I want to call it, is it, I don't want to call it world, but African influenced um, yeah. with his later band, the Mwandishi stuff. Yeah. Then the, uh, I recently picked up, well, everyone knows that one rocket when he was like full funk in the uh, funk. Electronic. Well, that's like more like, yeah, that's a later, that's like 1980, out of funk into hip hop yeah. at that point. Yeah. And then, so yeah, to that point, I, you veer off because you discover along your journey other things that you like or you're connected you're connecting musicians that play on one record and then you pick up one of their records and you discover 
something else, right? What I what my spreadsheets were and what is dangerous to do, and I probably should not share this with people, but what I would do and what I started getting into was so CTI records, right? On the bottom here it has CTI six zero one five. So I was like, oh, six zero one five, what does that mean? And then I start looking online and I find a website. I found some guy, he had an entire discography of CTI records. Every single cover, every single label, all of the imprint labels, because Kudu Records is an imprint of theirs. There's another uh, over Washington Junior. Oh yeah. yeah. And and CTI started on AM records. So it goes back in the in the sixties, in the late sixties, it was AM slash CTI. And there's a lot of those records. And so I had a spreadsheet of all of them zero zero one to like the end and for me it was like okay i need to now just check off this spreadsheet and it was the same thing with the blue note modern jazz series blue note 1500 4000 4100 4200 4300 just checking the box of every single one of them and like wanting all of them and the thing is is for me like i i discovered early on that the blue note ones were obviously way harder to find and way harder to get so that's just why i didn't have them on vinyl but also my interests were were always my interests always are what drive my musical listening what should be the essential thing um so like that's why I didn't get into a love supreme until just last year like last year was really mm-hmm. like the first time that I ever really heard it but I've been listening to jazz for 20 years you know what I mean like or 30 years like and Herbie Hancock it's funny that you mentioned that. I mean, he is Herbie Hancock is my favorite jazz artist, hands down, period. And it's interesting because he's one of the few artists and it's one of the few genres of things that if somebody were to ask me that I could actually definitively give you an answer. I can't tell you who is my favorite rock musician or who's my favorite rock band. I can definitively tell you that Herbie Hancock is my favorite jazz musician. And it's because he is like his, first of all, I've learned about him so much through my friend who was a piano player, his contribution to harmony in where jazz comes in. Like Herbie really brought harmony to jazz. And it's like, like, like bringing out from like branching off the melody and bringing out these chord structures and him being able to like, it's great because if you ever see the trailer for his masterclass on YouTube, it's like a 30 second trailer that might play before an ad here or there. But he'll go, how did I do that? You know, even just him on those chord changes right there. Like when I hear that, I'm like, that is jazz. That is jazz right there. That is the sound of jazz to me or anyway, like, because it's interesting, like he has played with everyone like he has played in all eras of jazz he's respected Mm -hmm. there isn't one jazz player out there that's like oh some people get angry at miles for the electric years some people aren't really into ornette coleman because he's super out there same with like eric Dolphy. but everyone loves herbie hancock man like and everyone Mm -hmm. played with him like he was in miles's quartets or Mm -hmm. uh quintets he's he's on those quintets and then and then it's interesting because he's he's also on he's on this record and he's on a lot of the CTI stuff and it's interesting because when you follow his lineage specifically like from Blue Note I think there's even a record that he has on Blue Note called The Prisoner. I think he eventually at one point felt like he was a prisoner at Blue Note feeling like he couldn't explore what he wanted to explore there. Uh Patrick I, I got one for it. um you know it's, it's somebody who is Again, kind of where we've been at our particular journeys. What do you see as like the barriers to entry for new to jazz? Like for OGs, it's definitely the cost. For the one steps, it's definitely the cost. But what do you see other kind of things that kind of inhibit or intimidate? I think it's just not knowing, not not knowing what to what 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 to what to look for. I mean, for me, you know, I mean, I have people that send me stuff all the time. Like people sent me all the all the stuff like, like Agartha and Pangea and, you know, those freaking Miles Davis things. It's like one song that goes across four album sides. It's like, it's fucking just noodling all day long. And I'm like, I just cannot get into this stuff. You know, people, people, people salivate over it, you know? So, so it's interesting because I, because, because Arnaldo mentioned having a mentor. I mean, I don't have a mentor. I don't have anybody to sit there and say, Hey, you know, and so, so that's kind of what I was hoping to envision something, something where people can go, Hey, here's, here, here's what someone told me and here's what I found out, you know? So what, 
here's where you can start. What do you what are you into? Do you want something freaky and weird? Right, go to Sun Ra, go to like Ornette Coleman. Do you want just melodic stuff, you know, that, that, that you can like listen to and you know, just feel kind of good about and like, you know, go to your freaking Hank Mobley's and, you know, that kind of stuff. So that's really what, what, what I, I think it's just information. I, I, as somebody who a rock guy all my life and a metal guy and, you know, was a country DJ for a while, you know, I just don't know anything about freaking, you know, jazz, 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 out of the point. I probably think Frank Sinatra was jazz when I was a kid. It's just a matter of not knowing where to start, being intimidated. If you do get into it and then you say, hey, I like this, to have someone look at you and go, well, that's not really jazz. You know, I've had, I don't know how many times I've sat there and said, I love that Chick Corea Electric Band album. And, and jazz heads are like, oh, that's not jazz. <laughs> so yeah. I've, I've, I've heard that so many know? times. And yeah. it's such bullshit, too. That, that, that particularly is bullshit because, um, and it's interesting. I just kind of was talking about this with my son the other day, who's only 10, but we were talking about Wynn Marsal. Like, I've worked with jazz at Lincoln Center, which is, um, basically like jazz at Lincoln Center is uh, run by Wynton Marsalis and they have a jazz at Lincoln Center orchestra and they're all about jazz education. The one issue that I have with them is it seems for them that jazz kind of stops in like mid-1955. Nothing after 1955 exists for jazz and a lot of people would say that this is not jazz. Like th- this record here is not jazz. Herbie Hancock Flood from the group The Headhunters. This is a live live record of Herbie Hancock Flood. This is live Headhunters, the same group that that is the Headhunters record, but more of the group that's on the second album called Thrust. And so, mm-hmm. again, this stuff is, I mean, if you want to get down to like nitty gritty genre definitions, technically, I would call this jazz funk or maybe even just funk or um you know there's a song on here called actual proof and apparently the reason why it's called that is because herbie hancock wanted actually he thought it was actual proof that they were the greatest funk band around like compared to tower of power or chicago or like anybody else out there he's like no the headhunters are the shit and this is actual proof Mm. and if you ever heard that song it's ridiculous but if you ever heard that song i mean some people would say that that's not funk that that's more fusion or or more on the yeah like prog side even at some points you know like they get like there's so many notes you know what i mean but at the same time like that's the other interesting thing when you're a jazz person coming at it from the musician side of things it also becomes it starts to come down to like technicality right like i don't ever get into like the technicality of the sessions i've heard some people like scrutinize blue note sessions like they'll get in and say like lee morgan infinity doesn't have the energy that the group should have you know they just feel like they're meandering or or i've heard people say that about like um Freddie Hubbard's natural or Stanley Turrentine, Mr. Soul or natural soul, whatever that one is. And it's like, I don't, I don't look at things that way. And like, I don't, I also used to play with a guy that was very much like that. He didn't understand why Lou Donaldson transitioned over from like the blue note type of jazz stuff to like more funk stuff in the seventies. He thought it was just a money grab for him. But I think you're raising a really interesting point. Patrick hit on it earlier about, I'm going to use this word, the pretentious. And I think sometimes, you know, if you're trying to find somebody who you can really lean on and, and get a good opinion on, sometimes it's hard because of just some of those things you're bringing up, Rocco, exactly what Patrick said, is that there's a certain kind of a stigma of judgment comes if you're not like an instant subject matter expert. Louis, are you kind of finding that as you're kind of, are you finding that too, Arnaldo, as you're kind of finding your way? No, I, I'd like to say maybe uh, not so much. Call it more like elitism. There's a lot of elitism. Yeah, depending on where you're going, if it's well, if in, it's in the, the sense that maybe, maybe only some people feel that they can appreciate a certain type of jazz, not be as welcoming means. towards others that are new and want to learn something. Yeah, I, I think you're onto something because that, that's I definitely have picked that up more in this genre than anywhere else. I've tried to like learn and, and Louis, I'm kind of interested in your take on this because as somebody who is admittedly just going down feet first, head first. Have you noticed kind of element of pretentiousness? I know, I know you get a lot of information from the bums and they're very, very uh, giving about a lot of what they're learning and what they have learned and, and been very helpful in shepherding a lot of people on this journey and their own channel through their own discord, et cetera. But are, have you noticed this, air, this kind of air of pretentiousness talking about? I, I, I don't know. I think that 
there's a language that musicians sort of speak after you've been one, you know, working for a long enough time where you can sort of sense the air of bullshit around, uh, you know, when people start critiquing music and, and, um, I don't have any tolerance for that. So I, I'm not intimidated by people when they, when they want to be a lead about something like that. I just ignore them and I, I start collecting good people who are interested in helping me. And it's, and so I, I don't notice it maybe as much because I'm older, right? If I had been doing this when I was 22, yeah, mm-hmm. that, that probably would have been, you know, scary in a room full of people like, you know, who, who knows, like the wax or something. He, he, he's not, <laughs> he's not, he's actually one of my, one of my mentors, right? I, I just mean like, you know, people who've been doing it and are outspoken about it and stuff like that. It would have maybe been more intimidating, but now I sort of brush it off and move right past it. Collecting mentors is the, one of the most important parts of me being able to do this because when you find the right person not only is it their knowledge it's that they're enthusiastic about helping you they're really sympathetic to your cause and they're going to give you the best information because they have a they almost have skin in the game to like oh i'm building this i'm building this person's good taste and and they're going to have so much fun and all that stuff so um i can't i can't say i mean i was introduced to the jazz bums pretty early on and those guys are super accessible as far as that sort of stuff goes and their discord i mean that's got to be one of the best places. I, I, mean, I love so jazz plugged in, this, you know? this, was, this was not an anti-jazz bump seat. Those guys. No, no, great. 100%. What they, and what they have done is phenomenal. But, but there are some, but there is a level of like just detail that they get to that sometimes I just can't, I just can't. I got to tune out. I, I got to be honest with you. And, and, and honestly, Patrick, that's kind of where I'm at because go up to mountaintop, but am I going to like jump in? Like, that's just not me. Like I've got what I like and I've kind of figured out certain eras and certain musicians that I, I really kind of know that's my jam. Well, yeah, I don't listen to them talk about it, but, but, you know, talking about how somebody was holding a trail and Gelder's, you know, recording studio, you know, I, I can't go down there. That's where, that's where you lose me. You know what I mean? And I, I, appreciate, I appreciate the passion. I appreciate the passion for sure. Well, that's the interesting part of it all too, is there's the side of it, from the musician and there's also the side of it like there's the side of it from enjoying the technicality of the musician there's also the side of it of enjoying the technicality of the recording and then there's also the side of it from enjoying the pressing of the vinyl and that's like there's so many different layers to all these things like there and it's been fascinating to me to be part of this vinyl community just in the last couple of years to kind of see because because it was it, it's been interesting to me to see people that are way more into the vinyl versus even the artists, you know, like like mm. there are a lot of people that are way more into just like I want to have this amazing audiophile pressing <laughs> and like like here's a great example. Chet Baker sings. <clears throat> That's that is like I was fascinated that anyone cared about that record. I was fascinated that anyone I was fascinated and because I kind of was coming into the scene like right when that was like blowing up and everything and everybody was like going after <laughs> it. And I, I don't understand. Like to me, I've gotten into Chet Baker. I mean, I've seen I've I've heard of Chet Baker, but like he fell off for me years ago. He fell off for me like years and years ago. I just never got into him. When everyone was like so in awe of needing this like Chet Baker sings record. I realized that like some people just want to have the vinyl, you know, like some people just want to have the jacket and the record and, you know, just want to be a part of the collection. And that's cool. I mean, that's great. Like there's, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I don't think there's anything wrong with any of these things, but I, it's cool how people can see it from all these different angles to talk about the triangle player or the, the depth of things. I can go there with people because I am a musician. So for me, like there are times where I've had to analyze this music in music classes or like I've had to analyze this music playing in a band and I've had to listen to that solo 500 times to understand like where we can, you know, get to the next point or whatever. And I hear things in these recordings like a cowbell or like a, you know, one certain thing that I'm just like that once you hear it, you can't unhear it again. Like I can't now it's like I listen to it every time and all I hear is that cowbell or all I hear is that percussion block or like whatever it is. I I think that's the fascinating part of it. And I, I don't understand like what I do understand is why it's not accessible for some people. And I think it's because of the technicality of it. I also think it's because of the history of it. Like, 
this book that I was talking about, it goes all the way back to like whatever Dixieland jazz. And it's interesting because I was just watching a jazz ensemble be led and like their whole thing is like kind of Duke Ellington, Count Basie era jazz stuff. And then like I was saying before about the jazz at Lincoln Center stuff where like they kind of always just stop at the 50s. To me, I think the best way to get people into jazz is to go backwards. I don't think that you should jump back to 1900, which is 100 years ago, or 100, whatever it is, 200 years ago at this point, you know, um, jump back that far. Because think about like the generational gap there and just everything that's, that's involved with that. You're missing all of the reason why of everything that happened. So why not start with Future Shock from Herbie Hancock? Because it's from the 80s and it sounds like hip hop. And you can listen to mm-hmm. that and go, oh, okay. Like I get the funk and I get the bass lines and everything. And then you're like, oh, wait, these are seventh chords that they're using. What is a seventh chord? And then once you want to know what a seventh chord is, you're into jazz. All right. Well, we're coming up on time for this this first one, but I, I definitely want to get one more piece of information from you guys and kind of beating beating the the central thing here about you know people kind of new to jazz and where to start and how to start and that sort of thing. So I'm going go around the horn and you know what would be the best recommendation that you could give to someone starting out? It could be an artist, it could be an album, it could be uh, just get all the Rudy Van Gelders you can, etc. So Arnold, I'll start with you. Well, obviously, if you don't get this version, everyone should own. <laughs> everyone should start from here, and everyone should own. What, what do you What do you hold, Arnaldo, for the visually impaired? What do you hold? Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah, for the visually impaired, kind of blue by Miles Davis. Uh, you don't have the QR version, but um, I think any version will do. I started off with the CD version like twenty something years ago, but I also want to mention a good entry point for someone who wants to start and get familiar with it is, and I know I'll attract a lot of detractors by saying vocal jazz, but it's still jazz, right? Oh, vocal Uh, jazz is I started off appreciating a lot of Ella Fitzgerald singing the Cole Porter songbook. And I'm waiting for someone to repress that in a very, uh, audiophile matter because all the copies I come across in the bins, they're really beat up. Um, right, sure. uh, so yeah, I, I think starting off maybe, you know, Chet Baker sings, I waited two years for that to come in print. I know the record, but, and I never had bought a vinyl version and I figured if I have to buy it on vinyl, I might as well buy the ultimate version or the best version that supposedly is around. But maybe, yeah, maybe either vocal jazz or jazz fusion you can start off with, like Rocco said. Uh, There's a lot of entry points from there, things that most people don't think are considered jazz, like the Herbie Hancock stuff. Even rock people can get into Miles Davis, um, Jack Johnson. When I listened to that record for the first time, I was like, wow, (laughs) can't believe this is Miles Davis. But, you know, that's my continuing journey. And learning about the genius of Miles Davis, who, by the way, is my favorite jazz artist of all time. Louis, what about you? Where, where would you go? As somebody who is doubling down on Tone Poets, Blue Note Classics, what's what's the other one that uh, the, the acronyms are really coming in? ECE is another one. OJCs. Where would you recommend somebody start as just like a try this? If you're in that mentor-mentee role, where would you suggest somebody go i i want someone to just break it down into its like real big um linear constituent parts like bebop hard bop and then pick an instrument right like like pick trumpet trombone guitar bass drums drums is a great one to start with and then you know do some quick googling and say you know jazz drummers jazz trumpet players and then just pick something to go stream and listen to i think that that's got to be the most basic advice in the world but then to connect that dot to there's probably a blue note reissue of it isn't a hard one to do right and then if it's if if part of your aspect of collecting is that you want the collectability you want the ogs and stuff that's still a great place to start because that reissue is going to connect you to the og 
It's going to connect you to the catalog number. It's going to get you an introduction into those things. But I'd say do it music first. Pick an instrument you know you like. Do a little wikiing. You know, listen to some hard bopsy if you like that. Listen to some bebopsy if you like that. And then listen to some, don't be afraid to listen to free jazz. Just realize what you're getting into, right? Free jazz is its own thing. And so, like, I would never tell someone who's, who comes to me and says, Hey, man, I, I see you like jazz and you're really passionate about it or whatever. What can you recommend? I'd be like, Unit Structures by Cecil Taylor. No, I, they'd yeah, be like, jazz. I don't, I don't get it, you know, and, so I wouldn't do that. I'd say, you know, what instrument do you like? I would go from that that angle. I would say that that's the awesome. best way to, to get in there. Or find Patrick, a mentor. What, what, find a mentor who you trust. About you, Patrick, what would you, if somebody came to you or just uh, theoretically, if, if somebody was to Jay overheard a conversation at a restaurant or a bar or something, what would you kind of lean over and be like, you know what, you should really do this or try this. Would you have a piece of advice like that? Well, first off, I would say you should not have to follow someone who sounds like a radio and uses the term linear constituent parts. You didn't have to follow that. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so I don't think I'm in an enviable, enviable position here, but uh, um, no. But uh, <laughs> um, for me, if I was going to recommend something, I would say, I would say, man, go, go look at the Tone Poet series. Go look at the Blue Note classics. Um, if you want to really get further into that, go onto the Hoffman forums and look look for OJCs. Which of the OJCs are OJCs are, are really are really recommended, and go find a good deal on those because you can still get those for super cheap. Um, yep. But I mean, I would start at the Tone Poets. I mean, the Tone Poets was was my entry. The, the music matters, and the Tone Poets were, were were my entry point. I would go look at it, you know, like a like a like a Soul Station or I don't. That's not a Tone Poet. I don't think that's it. But um, but you know, I like Bobby. Yeah, I like Stanley Turrentine stuff that they have out on, on 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 the classic series. I like a lot of that. I hope they do that Bobby Hutcherson one that came out on Music Matters 45 RPM the with the pink label. The that that one's just freaking phenomenal, but it's so expensive. But that's what I, I would look at, at at that, you know. But I mean, just listen. I mean, you can go sample stuff now so often. You can just go listen Easily. and find out, yeah. you know, and just say, hey, you know, I kind of dig that. Who did that, you know? And and then you can start. What you can also, what I like about Blue Note is that they list the people who were who played on it. So you can go look. Yes. Okay, so on, on Bobby Hutcherson Oblique, there's Herbie Hancock, there's Joe Chambers. I'm like, oh, hey, I know those two guys. You know, this might be pretty cool. You know, so you can you can always tell. You know, they always list who's on there, and it's so incestuous. You know, all those guys played on each other's stuff. That, that's always like helped a Lee me. Morgan album with 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 I think Jack McClain's on like like a couple of Lee Morgan albums. You can get you know different, different guys. That it's like it's so incestuous. No, that, that's helped me a lot because in a good way. In, in, yes, in a good way. We'll be very clear. No, because that that's how I kind of went down in rabbit holes. If I if I saw like I like Lee Morgan a lot, and if I yeah. saw Lee had his lead album and then he played on you know somebody else's, then I'd start kind of going down there, and then that led me to another a drummer or a bass player. So then that kind of it, it, Louis hit it on earlier the interconnectivity about all of it. And to borrow Patrick's word, the incestuousness. He's right. They, a lot of these guys played on each other's stuff, and and that's again Tony Point does a great job having the names on the jackets because then if you enjoy what you're listening to, then you can kind of say, what else is like this? Oh, Bobby Hutcherson's on this. Where does that take me? So Rocco, we'll finish again, with you. This one. But Jackie, Jackie Go McClain can lead you to Ornette Coleman. Beware, beware. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, but, but it's holding well, up your shelf in your garage though, right? <laughs> and even just the, even just to back up what you were saying there too, the, the, those guys, the reason why it's good to just follow the names like that on the covers is because those guys are also, they were, there were styles, you know, like, and and they had their favorite guys that they liked to play with too. So you can rest assured that if you were listening to um, you know a Grant Green record, and then Grant Green was a, a session guy on somebody else's record, both of those records are going to very sound similar. Like an I Quebec record or a Grant Green record are going to sound in like a similar style. My if if I were to. I, I really love this conversation, by the way, and I do think we should do another one um, with like, you know, mentoring people into jazz. And I love this like idea of just keeping it to that, you know, idea of just like, how would you mentor someone into jazz? Because I feel like I could. It's like, well, where are you coming from? And I could shepherd you right in. And it's funny because somebody else just mentioned to me when we were getting into this conversation, a guy uh, commented on the post that I made about this, that he came to jazz more from punk rock 
So mm. he gravitated more towards Ornette Coleman type stuff, and he liked the energy of it and the anger soundingness of it all, which I found okay. interesting. Which that doesn't, I didn't come to it from that direction. If I were to, sure. if I were to say to anyone, I would say, like I said before, go backwards. Start with someone newer. And start with music that's more similar to kind of like modern day music. And it's like what you like. If you like rock music, I would definitely start with somebody like Charlie Hunter. This record here, which is, um, this is a Blue Note Classic Series record. And this was uh, reissued from 20, 2003. But he came out with this in 2003. And he is an amazing eight-string guitar player. It's a very unique situation. He plays guitar and bass at the same time, um, which is just crazy. But he does, it's, it's kind of rooted a lot more in New Orleans-style jazz and New Orleans-style funk stuff. So it's got, it's, it's, got a lot more of a backbeat to it and two for you know feel to it which i think i think that's where a lot of people lose jazz is they lose it with not having a two and four or like there's there's a feel to it but it's not um like straight up like boom chick boom boom chick you know it's not that like rock feel so it kind of loses people with that so that's why i kind of gravitate to that kind of stuff which then i would say there's another group out there called soul live if you've ever heard of soul live these guys will get you into jazz these guys will get you into grant green because they basically um be, they basically the guitar player eric krasno of this group um is just a grant green disciple and um this is their first record and it just got reissued last year um you can get it out there it's not that expensive um but these guys were on Blue Note Records for a little while, and then they went and did their own stuff. But they're an organ trio and guitar, bass, I'm um, sorry, guitar, drums, and organ, and then the organ covers the bass also. And what's interesting with these guys is, so you'll get from these guys out into Grant Green and also John Patton, big John Patton. So you'll find, like, this amazing... Uh, Blue Note classic record, which is uh, mm -hmm. Grant Green is on this along with John Patton. So, I mean, this is basically like the 60s version of what I just showed you there, which came out in 2003. But this is wow, another one, too, from the 70s, CTI Records, Bob James 1. Bob James is another, like, interesting jazz guy because... He he's he sounds very similar to Herbie Hancock in a lot of his electric piano stuff, but yeah. he um, he goes into smooth jazz, and that's the interesting thing about CTI and why a lot of people don't like CTI is because you start going into smooth jazz there, and you do have to be careful because I'm I'm not that big of a fan of smooth jazz. I don't want to rag on anybody's jazz. I don't want to yuck anybody's yum. I, I'm not a big fan of smooth jazz or like Kenny G and like stuff like that. My dad loves that stuff. My dad can listen to watercolors on Sirius satellite radio all day long. So Bob James though, in the seventies, this record in particular Nautilus on this record is sampled by like so many hip hop artists out there. And Idris Muhammad is the drummer on this who went by the name Leo Morris prior to this. So, sure, sure. and then from there, you just go back. Well, not, you know, not, to you off, not to cut you off, we're run, running on no, time. No, no, I'm Rob, sorry. I'll so, keep, yeah, my bad. You're man. all good. You're all good. So anyway, no, <laughs> good conversation. And you're right. Maybe maybe we should send this to another uh, another uh, roundtable. We'll see how it goes. But anyway, I want to thank my guests for joining me. Interesting conversation. Went a lot of different directions, which I like. It's kind of like jazz in itself. It went a lot of different places despite the structure, and I like that. So I want to thank my guest, uh, Arnaldo up in New York, Fidelius Under Frequency. Thanks for joining us, sir. Thanks for having me, Chance. Let's well, thank Patrick P.B. Thal for this idea. I think it was a good idea. Thanks okay. for joining us, sir. We got Rocco. Pieces of Vinyl is a channel. Rocco, thanks for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. And then Louie, Jazz Finder General. <laughs> that is not thank an you, official thank you, name. Thank you. I know, I know, but you put it on there. Glad you yeah. could join us, sir. Thank you. Thank you. And that was another trip around the turntable. Thanks for listening to Vinyl Community Podcasts.